Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Fung Tran. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. On this week's episode, we continue with our coverage of the ongoing genocide in Palestine. Firstly, we hear from Sophia Sabah, who speaks to us about the recent action at ABC HQ in Nam, Melbourne, where 40 creators produced portraits of Palestinian journalists who had been murdered by the Israeli occupation forces. These portraits were pasted to the ABC building and then torn down in what the collective called double erasure. Later in the show, we hear from Lana Laham, Palestinian Mauritian activist with the Sit Intifada. Lana recently spoke at the Free Palestine Rally on December 17, 2023. Firstly, we bring you my conversation with Sophia Sabah. Sophia, you were part of an action that brought together illustrators and artists to create portraits of Palestinian journalists who had been murdered by the Israeli occupation forces. And at the time of this action, which was on the 20th of December, the number of journalists that had been killed was around 87, and it is now over 100, including Roshdi Saraj, who worked for the ABC. Can you start by talking us through the inception of this project and what messages you um, you and the other artists were hoping to share with everyone? Yeah, so the inception of it, I guess there's been a lot of mobilising, a lot of people are showing up to actions and a lot of big feelings of it just not being enough. So I guess I was really picking up on not just in myself but this collective sense of wanting to do more and I thought, okay, we've got to harness that because you don't know how long that's going to last and and it's just amazing that there are such high numbers of people at the moment moment wanting to mobilise. So it's a really good opportunity, I think, to have well-organised actions because you've got people on the ground. Yeah, I guess I actually just sent out a few messages to a few artists and I didn't, I just kind of said, this is what we're doing. And, um, and then they forwarded it to other people and they forwarded it to other people. And, and at that time it was actually 57. So this was just under two weeks before all of the portraits were pasted up onto ABC. So it was just amazing for me to see how many artists and illustrators and very big names, you know, people who get paid lots of money, just being up for not only illustrating and spending the time with a Palestinian journalist in that um, art form, uh, but also, you know, being on you know doing the admin for it and doing all the planning um around how to make it all collaborative or like cohesive as a group art project so it was so beautiful 
because musicians, they collaborate a lot, but for all of these visual artists and illustrators specifically, it's quite an individual process. So it felt really powerful to have all these visual artists doing something in, as a collective action, not just as a, um, not, not just as an honouring of the journalists, not just as a, a process to grieve what's happening in Palestine and honour them, but also, yeah, as this collective action. So that was spectacular. Obviously just one small, small action amongst many. But yeah, so that was the inception. Hmm. And what were you hoping to share with not just the people of Nam Melbourne, but in wider and so-called Australia, um, trying to highlight the Palestinian journalists who have been killed in, in Palestine? But was there something else that you wanted to shed light on through this project? Um, I guess a lot of things and... Some more actually came up through the process, actually. I guess, you know, as I said within, like ABC has always been biased. So it's painful seeing mainstream news. Like it makes me incapable of (laughs) showing up for work for a bit, you know, like it's been really difficult reading any kind of um, mainstream news, including ABC. So definitely... um, just to be one action to put pressure on ABC to know that so many people are seeing journalists reporting of Palestine, seeing the disjunct there between what ABC is reporting and what journalists in Palestine are reporting and and a lot of people are are angry. So that was definitely uh, one thing. And targeting ABC just because they're the leading broadcast not that they're doing worse than, you know, the other top kind of mainstream Australian news broadcasters. And then another one that kind of came up in the process was actually just realising how so many artists aren't able to show solidarity with Palestine, in, um, whether it's with their publisher or whether it's with their galleries or what have you. And so realising that they're was also a real need for artists to be active in this way because they couldn't do that within their paid, um, secure artist work. That was quite insightful for me too. And that that I think became also, it's not just news agencies, but also arts organisations. They're both creating this culture of fear amongst artists and journalists. There's a lot of parallels. Just as Israel is targeting artists and journalists, in Palestine and has been for years so yeah that that was something that came through the process and I guess going on from that you know these portraits were then were pasted to ABC HQ in Nar Melbourne and then almost immediately torn down leaving you know just only remnants of the portraits of these journalists so what kind of message does that send to the wider community not only about the attitude towards journalism in this country but also the arts yeah I guess you know it was quite the metaphor to show how they're erasing these Palestinian narratives um, and silencing the artists yeah it was quite a metaphor for that and I might I might also add just for legal reasons just to confirm that it wasn't the artists who pasted them up (laughs) just to protect their um, safety there 
Um, but yeah, it is it is quite metaphoric of ABC's kind of removal and erasing of artists and journalists representing Palestinian narratives and has done. They've been doing that for years. I remember the first time I heard ABC talk about Palestine on the radio. It was for that book, Palestine. It's a cookbook and it was co-written with um with a, a famous white cookbook writer. And I, I was driving and I just cried in the car. And I realised afterwards it was because that was the first time I'd heard them talk about it. And it was just talking about the food. And, yeah, actually the politics comes into it in that book too. But, um, yeah, they've been silencing arts and um, stories representing Palestine in those positive ways, in those, like, life-giving <laughs> ways, you know, not reducing the life for a long time. Yeah, and that um, goes on to my next question. We've been seeing since October 7 especially, but like you've said, you know, we need to acknowledge that this has been, this kind of reporting has been happening for decades now. Um, mm -hmm. Here in so-called Australia and all over the world on the genocide in Palestine, um, especially in mainstream media, has been one-sided, very disappointing to say the least, with big media organisations sometimes you know, rebroadcasting propaganda from the IOF, not acknowledging the dynamic of occupier and occupied, um, mm -hmm. dehumanizing Palestinians, as you've said, especially Palestinian men, and even the language being used to report, you know, the passive voice, other language that omits Israel as the perpetrator of violence. So I was wondering if you could speak to the impartiality, quote unquote, impartiality that media and arts organisations claim uh, within the context of Israel and, and Zionism? Yeah, it's a good question that can make people often look like conspiracists. Um, maybe up until recently it's more common that um, people are seeing how Zionist propaganda does play out and, um, and that it's supporting the current genocide. But, yeah, definitely for arts organisations, there are Zionist families that are funding quite a lot of them around Australia and that plays into a, a culture of normalising Israeli narratives. And then with the news and, and ABC, I guess one thing that I can't help but to think, but if Western news outlets and arts organisations didn't have this Zionist bias or this um, didn't have these Zionist narratives really kind of influencing their um, narrating, then I don't think Israel could have gotten to this point. Like I don't think they could have gotten away with what's happening now. Like it's just gotten to the point where the occupation in Palestine was so brutal yet so normal and the rest of the world just didn't pay heed because of the journalism and because of the representation. And so now it's gotten to the point where they kind of seem to think that they can get away with this slaughter. But, yeah, that's just my <laughs> my um, theory. But, but definitely it is very powerful suppressing the Palestinian narratives. Like going to school, um, like primary school and high school, I was told one narrative at home of Palestine and then everyone at school would tell me that it was wrong and that I was biased and would really kind of ridicule me for having that kind of version of the history and version of Palestine. 
And so I feel like, yeah, the media then, you know, it influences a lot. Sorry, I'm really struggling to answer the question. I guess it's it's a really multi-faced kind of thing where prioritising Israeli narratives, which is totally the opposite, really, of Palestinian narratives. You know, a lot of them don't think that anyone was living there before they were living there. You know, it goes back to the Nakba and... Ben Gurion like hid all of those true stories of the Nakba or like made false evidence that um, Palestinians were expelled brutally. So these very contradicting versions of the history and changing it to conflict rather than like occupation and yeah, or like changing those words just really. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not answering the question very well. Um, no, that's all right. I think, um, yeah, like often changing those words can have real concrete impacts because language can inform things like laws and policies and the way that, I don't know, funding funding gets distributed or it's not just sort of like an intangible thing that people are concerned with but can have actual real-life consequences on, on the community. Definitely. Yeah, huge. I mean, it's dehumanising language. And when people are experiencing a totally different version of what the news is spilling out, and then the news is, you know, saying that, you know, giving across this terrorist look, it just creates such a big gap in people's experience and understanding. And, yeah, it's the kind of thing that leads to what we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about the intersection of politics and art. So following the act of solidarity shown by actors recently at the Sydney Theatre Company, we've heard many people talk about the separation of politics and art and they should remain separate. This in spite of many sort of canonised or world-renowned artists or works of art being produced that are a reflection of or a response to the political situation of the time. So as an as an artist yourself, Sophia, I was wondering if you could talk about that contradiction of when politics is allowed in art and when it isn't from your perspective. Yeah, I think it's definitely a sad world when they're using, when they're trying to stop expression and political expression and political navigation from being explored in the arts. In Australia, I can see that a lot of art spaces definitely profits off diversity and LTBQI um, artists and bodies. But at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of lip service to actually decolonizing and, and enacting radical change. Um, within the community Uh, there's you know if you look at the kind of board and the CEO and the structure of these gallery spaces who's making the profit and what the contracts are like and all this stuff it can be very yeah revealing with in terms of what they're wanting to kind of represent different people's art for for money for profit and yeah, look, I have seen some amazing political galleries and shows. I think to be able to represent, to make, to be able to make moving political art can be quite a skill because 
yeah, it can be challenging, I think. So, yeah, I have seen some good political art exhibitions around, but, yeah, def- definitely the silencing of Palestinian narratives and particularly, I think, with the mobilisation, like with for a lot of Palestinians, we do believe that we'll return or do believe that liberation and um, the right of return will, will come back, that it's not just oppression forever. Whereas I think in the arts, kind of having that radical twist of, yeah, we'll return that land is ours and still is ours is can be quite confronting and it, it definitely, you know, should challenge Australia because Australia is in the same situation of, you know, saying traditional owners instead of sovereign owners now, you know, like the acknowledging of, of who is owning, who owns the land we're on now is still very in denial about what's happened and is still happening here. So, yeah, I feel like art that really does challenge colonial um, systems in a way that demands actual reflection and change it can be too challenging <laughs> for a lot of places. Like you can see with the um, post-colonial studies institutions in North Melbourne, it's just getting shut down at the moment. And there's a lot of amazing academics who've worked from there, but they're just too radical. <laughs> so mm. other people are wanting to shut it down, which is very sad. Yeah, I think you've really made the key point there, Sophia, which ties in with everything else that we've been talking about. It's perhaps one of the main reasons why Australia, well, mainstream Australia, a lot of people find it very difficult to sit with Palestinian liberation and justice um, is because it's so closely related to the Australian settler colony here. And like you said, and like and many other staunch activists have said, having to reckon with the truth of the Israeli occupation and the ongoing Nakba would mean having to do the same here in so-called Australia, which as we have seen and as we continue to see, the government and all the institutions here aren't doing that very well or aren't doing that at all. And there's no profit in giving the land back. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, that's the that's the other point, isn't it? Yeah, they're trying to to see who can make money, the most money out of whatever situation. Um, and that's where like the arts organizations and stuff play in too, because a lot of them are getting funding from Zionist families, which stop them from being able to boycott that's just to do with money as as well like surely artists surely we can become independent and not depend on pro-israel funding yeah finally my final question for you is how can we as civilians make sure that our media and arts organizations are held accountable I had a message actually after the action from one of the journalists thanking me because she has actually been unable to report on Palestine and that's been really hard for her. So there's definitely internal, yeah, dis-ease 
you know, like I think the more actions, the better. And at the same time, I also feel like supporting independent media, making sure journalists have other options so that they don't have to be in that environment with that culture of not being able to report on it. So, yeah, there's both a mix of, I guess, thank the papers and the journalists when they do a good article, tell them you want more of those. I guess keep sending complaints, but yeah, and support independent media too. Keep talking about it in spaces where people aren't exposed to alternative news and support them as well to look into other versions of the truth. That was Sophia Subach speaking about the state of arts and media organisations here in so-called Australia. We're now going to hear from Lana Laham, who spoke at the Free Palestine Rally in Nam on the 17th of December, 2023. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. This is my bodyguard for today, Janine. I would like to begin by acknowledging the forever custodians of this land on which we are meeting today, the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend my acknowledgement to the elders and ancestors of all those in the shared struggle. I'd like to acknowledge the continuing sovereignty and the sovereignty of all indigenous peoples. I acknowledge that as a settler uninvited on these lands, it is my duty to engage in the practice of decolonization for the liberation of all mob living in so-called Australia. And that includes paying the rent. I can't stand here in front of you today and talk about the plight of my people while ignoring and benefiting off the plight of another Indigenous group on this land. To our First Nations brothers and sisters, you have seen birthing trees uprooted for roads. We have seen olive trees burnt for settlements. That is our DNA being colonised. That is the very essence of our identities being stripped away from us. Our struggles are interconnected and the way we think about these struggles must inform the way we move through this world. What we buy, who we engage with, who we elect in positions of power, how we work to dismantle that power. It is a daily practice and that practice in itself is resistance. Resistance to everything we have been taught to to be, to act, to consume, to conform to from the West at the expense of our own cultures, our own values, our own traditions. Enough! This morning I I woke up angry and it's not the anger I've been carrying every day for the past few months. It's not the anger I've felt over a lifetime of seeing my people subjected to genocide, apartheid, and ethnic cleansing. It is the anger that I have to now come up here and speak to you, speak to words that have already been shared by people who came before me, by my ancestors, by my community, by thought leaders in this space, by indigenous voices globally speaking out against their oppressors. These words aren't new. They are but a combination of sentiments that already exist throughout time and space. They are words that have fallen on closed minds, words that have never penetrated an apathetic soul. How many more times must we bear the unbearable before we decide it's enough? What we are seeing right now is a genocide, but it is not the first genocide. 
Many of us gathered here today come from a legacy of ongoing genocide, a legacy of oppression, and that is why we are here. My parents met because of the impact of colonization. My brothers and I are a product of displacement from two different countries, but from the same colonial system. When we stop screaming, stop marching, stop fighting, we tell our oppressors that we will only fight when it's convenient, that we will stop resisting and partake in your consumerist, capitalist, festive season. I say this as someone born as a, as a Christian Palestinian, that if Christmas is cancelled in the birthplace of Jesus, it is cancelled everywhere. One of the things that we have learnt from Ammo Ihab and the other uncles in the Sit Intifada is a foundational teaching of the Quran. You never start a fight, but it is your duty to fight back. As Palestinians, we do not start fights, but we do finish them. So I want to ask you, what do you do in the face of continued indifference? Do we give up? No. Do we stay silent? No. Do we submit? No. But do we scream louder? Yes. Do we fight back? Yes. Do we resist? Yes. Our weapon against our oppressors is our community and our community is our resistance. When we use our collective voice, our collective power to say it, it is not business as usual when there are genocides happening in Palestine and all over the world, that is our resistance. When we take to the streets to demand not a ceasefire, but a free Palestine and land back, that is our resistance. When we march to the doorsteps of our politicians and call them out on their racist policies, and positions and demand that they represent us fairly. That is our resistance. When we strike and withhold our labor from this colonial project, from the machine that they've built to keep us complicit, that is our resistance. Freedom has never come from the top. It starts here from the hearts of the governed and the hearts of the oppressed. The history of liberation is a history of resistance. That was Lana from the Sit Intifada speaking about shared struggle, resistance and liberation at the Free Palestine Rally on Sunday the 17th of December. That's all for Women on the Line today. We would love to hear any comments or thoughts you have about the program, so please send us an email at womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. All Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from www.3cr.org.au forward slash Women on the Line. I'm Fung Tran. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.